Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host as we cover today the topic of tuition inflation and student loan debt forgiveness. This is a, a salient point at the moment, obviously, because two weeks ago, uh, President Joe Biden announced that uh, the government's going to forgive a bunch of student loan debt. And um, I, it's not my point here in this, in this uh, uh, podcast to discuss whether or not the president actually has the power to do such a thing. That's not the question I want to address. I'm the inflation guy. And so I'm going to talk about the effect that loan forgiveness has on inflation, uh, if any, and uh, what I think about college tuition inflation more broadly, uh, and, and I think there's also a, a political question in here um, that I think is sort of interesting because I, I think that uh, uh, it's, it's not being thought of in the right way by certain folks. So let's start at the beginning, though. Does tuition forgiveness increase inflation? And, and before, before I get into, into that, let me just give you the bare bones outlines of what the plan looks like it's going to be. Essentially, the announcement was that if you make less than 125 grand and you have student loan debt up to $10,000, then the government's just going to forgive that um, with no tax consequences to you because of prior legislation. Uh, if you have a Pell Grant, that will be forgiven up to $20,000. So at least the optics are that People who don't make a ton of money will have a bunch of debt forgiven. Um, so as is, and we're still learning uh, how that policy is actually going to be implemented. So the numbers of how many billions that's going to cost um, in the federal deficit, the numbers are all over the place. So I'm not going to even talk about, about exactly what the numbers are. But let's talk philosophically and theoretically about does tu tuition forgiveness in general increase inflation? Now, it sort of sounds like that's the sort of thing where the answer should be, of course it does. You know, if I, uh, if you buy a car and take out a loan and I say, by the way, you don't owe me anything, then you would think, okay, you're going to go buy another car and, and you create more pressure on those resources and you drive up the cost of cars. And so that's when people look at tuition loan forgiveness and they look at how much of this, this is going to increase the deficit, the initial reaction is, hey, we're going to have a larger deficit. The last time we had a great big deficit, but we still still do, but when, when it got really large uh, after COVID hit, you know, that led to a lot of inflation. But that's not quite right. Um, the answer is, is actually going to end up being no, or, or effectively there isn't a big impact on inflation here. And, and here's why. Um, if, if I borrow from Peter to give some money to Paul to pay off Paul's student loan debt, then what happens to the economy is that Peter is going to spend less because I took money from him, and Paul, who I gave money to, is going to spend more. And so that's sort of indeterminate 
Um, maybe one of them borrow, uh, saves a little bit less or a little bit more or whatever, but it's a little bit indeterminate as to what happens overall. I'm taking money from one uh, person and giving it to another person. So direct transfers like that don't have an obvious inflationary message to them. Um, now, if I create, now here's what happened in COVID is, if I create the money to give to Paul, rather than taking it from Peter, I just create it out of thin air and give it to Paul, then as, as happened in 20, 2020, 2021, well, then of course we get inflation because then Peter is still able to buy all the stuff Peter was going to buy. And Paul now gets to buy some stuff that he couldn't buy before. That increases pressure on resources, more money chasing the same amount of goods. Yes, you get inflation. And that's obvious. Okay. So that answer is very, very obvious. It's a little bit less obvious to people that if you don't actually create that money, if you if you either tax it from Peter or you borrow it from Peter, either way, you're taking it away from Peter and you're giving it to Paul. Um, again, that can, depending on what their marginal propensities to consume are, you can get different short-term effects. And you clearly are picking winners and losers because what Paul is buying um, is going to not be the same thing that Peter is buying. And in fact, if there's a, if, if, Paul, as a as a class of people, you know, if, if we're talking uh, younger people just out of school, um, perhaps their spending, you know, their spending habits are very different from, you know, the the middle class uh, retiree who has his money in bonds. That that is the one you're borrowing it from. So you can certainly see that there would be some winners and losers, inflation in some places and disinflation in other places, but net net you wouldn't expect any big uh, impact. Now, my longer-term view of college inflation, um, and it's interesting because if you look at tuition inflation over the last several years, it's actually been very, very low. And, and part of that, and even before COVID and sort of going into COVID, tuition inflation had been coming down quite a bit. And the reason based on, on our model, uh, you'll just have to take my word for it, but the, the big reason that that was happening is that college endowments um, and uh, had, had been doing tremendously well. The market, the stock market has been going up for a long, long time. Endowments, like every other investor, tend to hold a lot of equities. And when endowments do really, really well, then when, you know, when their performance is much greater than the rate of inflation, then it tends to lower overall inflation, uh, overall tuition inflation, it tends to lower it relative to overall inflation. Now, in the broad swath of time, college tuition inflation tends to be higher than overall inflation because colleges are inefficient. They're not, they're not run like profit-maximizing institutions. You know, they're, they're run as, um, you know, little, uh, I don't want to use any, any sort of uh, uh, negative term to to describe, you know, the fact that we're creating these little communities of intellectuals, but you know, it, it it's they're they're not run as if the goal is to produce the most amount of knowledge or the most uh, number of educated students or whatever per unit of uh, for, of revenue. That's not how. That, that's not their objective function, and so not surprisingly, they're not very uh, efficient. Um, and so 
overall, I would I would say, and especially now that stocks are going down, I would say that you know tuition inflation is going to go back up. Obviously, it's going to go back up because overall inflation is going up, and therefore college costs are going up, and therefore tuitions are going to go up. But tuitions are going to go up probably more than that. Whatever we end up with headline tuition, uh, headline inflation being, if it's 5% or 4% or 6%, college tuition is going to end up being a little bit higher than that. Uh, but that's not going to, that can, that's not true forever. And and I think that, that you know, we, we sort of look at things like, we, we look at this in medical care and we look at this in, in um, which which is is high for different reasons. We look at it in, in tuition and we say these things are always inflating faster than everything else, and they always will. But there are limits to that. Um, if you <laughs> and this is this is perhaps been made most immediately obvious to me because I recently dropped off my son at college, and um, and colleges today are just very very different than colleges were when I went back, went to school many, many years ago. Um, the number of ancillary services, the quality of food on campus, the quality of campus lifestyle is really, really, really remarkable and very, very, very different. And clearly a lot has been added there. But if you start to think about what, what the limits are of what you can charge, um, let, let's consider uh, Duke University. I just pulled Duke out of a hat. Um, going into 20, 2022, 2023, they charge $63,000 a year tuition and uh, counting room, board, and books, it's $84,500. Now, Duke has lots and lots of, of students going there, but let's suppose that we could find 40 students at Duke who, for one year, wanted to take all the same classes. They wanted to take five classes in the fall, five classes in the spring, all the same classes. So a grand total of 30 hours, 30 semester hours, um, although actually Duke operates differently. So maybe that was a bad example. But anyway, um, uh, they take fewer classes. But but 30 semester hours for, for a year, 15 in the fall, 15 in the spring. We found 40 students who wanted to do that. And we charged them each $25,000. That would give me a million bucks. Now, can I, with a million bucks, go and get three good teachers to go teach these five classes in the fall, five classes in the spring? My guess is you probably can. But if you can't quite do it for that, then okay, let's make it 60 students. Let's make it 80 students. And the point is that just charging students 25 grand, if you can get Everyone wanting to do the same thing, you can sort of see that the cost of actually providing education isn't anywhere close to what is being charged. Now, does that mean I would want to take, if my kid was going to Duke, would I want to take my kid out of Duke and then and, and you know, put him in this little enclave of, of 40 uh, kids to go in and take his classes? Well, no, there are other ancillary benefits to going to college. But, you know, I mean, for example... You get the college experience. You get, you know, the beautiful campus and and uh, a great social uh, scene and, uh, uh, you know, a network of connections that you can use in the future, and and things like that. So you know, those things are worth something, but they're not worth infinity. And 
And so at some point, you are going to run into the a, a level, and I don't know what that what that price is, but you, you're already starting to see people push back a little bit on this. But you're going to run into a price where people say, God, for that amount of money, I, I'll just go and, you know, go to Arizona State online um, and and keep all this extra money and go have a rocking good time in Europe over the summer. So so there is there are some limits. And for many, many years, there, there, there really there weren't. And colleges have spent a lot of this money going and improving their physical plant. So they're beautiful places to go. And the college experience is wonderful. But it's starting to get to a place where at some point, and I think that over the next decade or so, you're going to see college tuition start to come down and, and ultimately to be less than overall inflation. Um, it, you know, it reminds me back when I was at, at Barclays in the early 2000s, and um, one of our, there was another dealer that was Greenwich Capital. Greenwich Capital became part of um, uh, RBS. Um, but but Greenwich Capital at the time was, it was a trading shop and it was sort of a, a dealer for dealers. So I was an options trader. And so if I wanted to go buy $100 million worth of bonds and I didn't want everybody on the street to know that I was buying $100 million worth of bonds, I would go to Greenwich Capital who would go and find the other side of the trade. And so there was this anonymity. And so that was kind of what Greenwich did. But they were all traders. They took punts. Um, they were great at managing liquidity. But the point of my story is that what they did at Greenwich Capital is they would go to them every year when it was bonus time. They said, hey, um, so here's the pot of money we have. Um, this trading floor that we're on is really crappy. It's really ugly. It really was one of the ugliest trading floors I've ever seen. It's 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 nasty. It's smelly. It's stinky. And we could go upgrade all this, give you guys upgraded computers, or we could take that money and put it to bonuses. What do you think? And the answer almost always came back, hey, it should go to bonuses. And so the result was they had really crappy, a really crappy trading floor, but they got paid very well and they were very, very good at what they did. At some point, colleges are, there's going to be a, a choice of colleges that come out that are, I won't call them cut rate necessarily, but, but that won't have all those ancillary benefits and say, if you want to have exactly the same education as you get at Duke, but you don't need, you know, the fantastic basketball, then, hey, we can give it to you for 20% the cost of Duke. And that's going to become more and more appealing. Um, okay, so I gave you sort of, does tuition forgiveness cause inflation? The answer is no. Longer-term view of college infl inflation is that it's probably going to be higher than, than headline inflation for a couple of years, but in the longer term, it's it's going to reach some sort of limit uh, and inflation is going to come down. Um, with respect to tuition forgiveness, um, an interesting question um, and, and I think, well, is 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 it good politics to go and forgive um, college tuition loans? And and um, and this is interesting because I think an initial knee jerk response to Biden's announcement was, "Hey, that's really bad politics because the people who's who you're forgiving, first of all, the people who are paying for the forgiveness are all the taxpayers, and a lot of them didn't go to college." And the people who you're forgiving are people who have high debt who are now out in the workplace. And some of those are, but they're not earning a ton of money yet. And so some of those are, you know, people who have degrees from Duke and are, um, you know, studying, uh, uh, you know, marine geology somewhere. 
um, or they're they're doctors who are you know doing their rotation and they're not you know highly paid yet or whatever. And so, but they're upper crusty because they got into Duke, and they're going to get forgiveness, and the pipe fitter is going to be paying for it. Wow, that looks like really rotten politics. And and so, but I think this is something that is worth a little more thought because I think I think Republicans need to be very wary of the trap that's being laid for them. And I say this because Republicans are never wary of the trap being laid for them, which is why it always gets sprung on them, which is why we end up with a lot of these crazy policies that you would never expect would have actually happened. But Republicans got, just got, you know, bamboozled because they're just not good at thinking about these things. So the initial reaction, um, if you don't like this policy or if you're against President Biden, your initial reaction is, you know, it's unfair. The, the argument I just gave, it's unfair. You know, the, the, the poor people are paying for the wealthy people. But the tra- here's the trap. The trap is that then the Democrats say, okay, you're right. It's unfair. We'll forgive everybody. And so once you've, bus- you've just spent, you know, a month arguing that it's unfair – how are you going to respond when they say, well, okay, good, we'll, for, we'll forgive everybody's loans then? I mean, that's much more fair. And, and then you say, well, you know, the problem, is the other thing you hear these days, the problem is that the cost of college is too high. It, it's, it's really the, the problem is not so much loans. The problem is that the cost of attending college is just too high. It's just not fair. And so lots of people can't go to college who would otherwise want to go to college. Okay, the answer to that, is Democrats step up and say, okay, you're right. Let's make college a right. We'll just pay for it. The government will pay for it. Everybody can go to college. So the Republicans need to be really careful here because their initial instincts are that, wow, what a great, what a great uh, issue for us uh, is this, is this um, uh, tuition forgiveness because it just, you know, looks demographically really wrong and, and um, it just, it looks like a really, really bad thing and, and we should be able to make hay. Um, against against the president on this. I think that's a mistake. I think it's a trap. And I think that Republicans need to be really, really careful about how they play this or they're going to end up with the government basically paying uh, for free college for everybody. And we know there are people on on the Democratic side and a whole lot of them who would prefer universal education. Okay, so be careful. Be careful. This is a really... Uh, a really uh, tricky thing. It would be bad to have the government take over colleges. If you want to, if you want to make an inefficient service, which colleges are, if you want to make it any inefficient service less efficient, let the government run it. Uh, now, state-run education—it's it, never very good on average anywhere. Okay, but your outliers can be very high quality. As the government, you can you can make an institution that gets all of the best people and that institution, that top college, that top government college is going to be, it's going to be tremendous. And you see this in other countries that have state run education that, you know, you have to take a a test to get into the, the best institution. And if you don't get into the best institution, maybe you can get in the next best institution and so on. But, you could certainly make a couple of institutions very, very good by taking all the best professors from everywhere. Take the best professor from UCLA, the best one from Harvard, the best one from Duke, the best one from University of Miami, best one from you know Texas Tech, 
and bring them all to one institution. That would be a great institution. However, all those other universities will become worse. So on average, uh, it, you get you'll end up with a worse system, and it'll end up being, you know, if you if you went that route, um, it's going to end up being less efficient as well. Um, so the government builds a rocket to the moon in the '60s. Government was able to do that big project, bring all the best people together and do a big project. Space taxi, that's not something I want the government involved in. And education is much more like space taxi. It's, in, it's delivering a service to lots of people in small quantities. And that's just not something government is very good at. So to sum up everything I've said today, um, in general, throwing money at a problem just makes the problem more expensive. Um, you know, the vast amount of money that has been thrown at schools over the last couple of decades is highly correlated with worse and worse outcomes in terms of reading and math scores at schools. So general, and generally speaking, throwing money at a problem just makes it a more expensive problem. But in this case, this is a financial problem. And so it's at least plausible to say that, well, you know, we have a bunch of citizens with a financial problem. We should be able to fix that problem with money. Okay. As long as you're doing that by taxing it from someone else or borrowing it from someone else, okay, so doing it with deficit spending, then the effect on inflation is indeterminate and not necessarily bullish for for a college tuition inflation or bullish for inflation overall. There'll be winners and losers, but the overall effect is indeterminate. Unless, unless you start to have so much of a deficit that you can't finance it all in the markets. Uh, you can't roll over your existing debt. You can't also um, uh, get all the new money for all the, 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 the increased deficits. And so what ends up happening then is the Federal Reserve has to go and buy your bonds and create that money. That part is inflationary, but the actual tuition forgiveness by itself uh, won't be. In the long run, uh, college, tuition, college tuition inflation, I think it's going to hit a wall eventually. Um, and, and the real risk here politically to, to Republicans or basically anyone who doesn't want nationalized or universal uh, education uh, at the secondary level is, you know, the risk is that, that uh, by complaining too much about the way this is done, a lot of the obvious solutions to that complaint isn't to not do it. A lot of the obvious solutions are do more of it. Not that that makes a lot of sense, but that's that you have to be very, very careful. Politically, I think this is a, a potentially a real minefield, mine, or minefield, minefield. Um, and that is all for today. So that's my policy brief. That's all for today's podcast. Um, you can uh, contact me, inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. I sure appreciate everybody who tunes into these things and, and the comments that I get. And people email me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com and, uh, and ask me questions. And in fact, I have an idea for another podcast that came from an exchange with one reader. You can follow the blog at inflationguy.blog. Um, I will say that you can also subscribe on inflationguy.blog to the private Twitter feed where I, where I cover CPI in real time every month. 
You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. That's the free one. You can download the Inflation Guy app, visit Enduring Investments, and most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>